welcome to this month's Tech UK podcast, which looks at the state of local public services, digital and what's to come. My name is Georgina Marathefdis and I'm the Associate Director for Local Public Services at Tech UK. And I'm delighted to be joined by guests, Eddie Copeland, Director of London Office for Tech and Innovation, Suraj Kika, CEO and founder of Jadu, and Rachel Beer, Business Development Director of Capita Local Public Services at Capita, and also of co-chair of Tech UK's Local Public Services Committee in this months of future gazing where next for local gov tech podcast in this podcast we talk about the importance of collaboration across not only local government but with supplies and between supplies and how we can deliver local public services that are truly inclusive and accessible to all each of our speakers look into their crystal ball and make their predictions on what the biggest digital and tech trends will be for next year too I'm delighted to be joined by Eddie Copeland, Director, London Office for Tech and Innovation on this Tech UK podcast, which is all about future gazing and where next for local government tech. Eddie, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Very nice to be here. Excellent. I guess before we begin, it'd be good to know a bit more about the London Office for Tech and Innovation or what it's better known for as Lottie, as I'm sure throughout this um, chat, I'd probably be referring it to it as um, Lottie. So yeah, if you could tell us a bit more about yeah the organisation and the role that you play within it. Sure thing. So Lottie was set up about three and a half years ago and it had a submission at the time to overcome what was called London's digital collaboration deficit. And that was that sense. If you look at a London map, uh, it becomes really evident quite soon that London isn't really one city, certainly not administratively. It's 33 cities at least, 33 very independent, very autonomous boroughs. And our job is to help them get the best value from digital and data innovation to improve public services and outcomes for Londoners. So it's really helping them collaborate across their borough boundaries, finding areas of common interest in order to improve life for Londoners. And we're hosted by an organisation called London Councils, which represents all London's 33 boroughs. And the GLA is also a member of Lottie. So we're a slightly unusual beast in that you've got both boroughs and essentially the Mayor's Office and Greater London Authority part of it. But it means that we've got sort of both the mayoral clout and the borough clout to try and get good things done. I've got a team of eight at the moment. Uh, and yeah, I've been director for since we started three and a half years ago, having previously argued that London really needed something like this in, in some of my previous roles. Excellent. And I don't think there are any other regions that have an equivalent of um, Lottie. So definitely leading the way there. And it very much sounds like, you know, collaboration is at the heart of what you do. And I always remember this quote from um, Paul Motby, who was the chief digital officer at the department for levelling up, saying, you know, collaboration is hard, but doable. But yes, it's definitely not easy. So how do you manage this at Lottie? So you're absolutely right. We, we always say yeah, collaboration is extremely hard, but it is also worth it. And as I said, you look at the London map, you see it's a sort of like a 33 piece jigsaw puzzle. And when you think about both digital and data, you know, digital and tech things tend to deliver most value when done at scale. Data delivers most value when you share it. So we have to overcome 
these sort of local government fragmented silos in order to do this sort of thing well. So it's been a real learning journey for us on how you actually get collaboration to happen because these boroughs, as I said, are very autonomous. They've got different politicians, different priorities, but fundamentally they all are there to do the same thing. Um, back in year one, I think I slightly naively tried to run Lottie as a sort of like open democracy where we said, right, members, what would you like to do? And let's literally do dot voting on the most popular ideas and see what emerges. We tried that for a bit and we realized that what came out just wasn't strategically coherent. So instead, over the years, what we've learned to do is to have a bit more professional confidence as a Lottie team where we spend so much time with all of our members who tend to be the chief uh, information and chief digital officers of each borough and their teams, technology, digital and data teams. We spend so much time working with them, talking to them, listening to their concerns. What we now do is we take away everything we've learned and we try and mirror back to them or present back to them what we think are the key opportunities to work together. Because we've also realised actually sitting at Lottie, we think all day, every day in a pan-London context, but the boroughs their jobs, their remits, their appraisals, everything about their work tends to be very much geared to their local patch. So we've recognised we do have a slightly different perspective to them. We do have the headspace to think about the collaboration opportunities. So we listen to them, as I said, and then we present back to them what, what we think makes most sense to do. And what we often do is just make sure we're focusing on four areas that really prove the value of collaboration. So obvious ones like sharing knowledge and ideas between them, like there's no point them all starting from scratch when entering a new area. So we can either go, we know exactly who should, who's done that recently, go and talk to your peer in such and such a borough, or we can find global leading practice, we can create guides, we can have communities of practice, they share knowledge with each other, but that knowledge sharing piece is one core thing. We can build capacity together. So again, collaboration, responding to the fact that they can't all get every skill that they want in-house, but between them, maybe they can co-fund roles or find ways to uh, increase the skills of their own staff. And that's something that where collaboration plays real value. There's running projects together. As I said, some of the opportunities on digital and data, it would be nuts if every single borough did it completely independently. And so getting clusters of them working together seems to work quite well. And the final bit is, you know, can we show the value of collaboration by speaking with one voice when we need to? We saw during the COVID uh, pandemics, for example, we were receiving lots of data or local authorities were receiving lots of data from central government and other NHS sources. There were quite a few issues with that data. On behalf of boroughs, Lottie was able to talk uh, with central government departments to improve that situation. So again, we can show how working together is in their best interests as well. So keep showing the value, keep listening, uh, and trying to use our professional judgment. And I think we've just about found a model that uh, works well. We're always continuing to learn though. No, I love that. And I'm sure that'll be that's a great value to your members, but also to other maybe local authorities or public sector organisations listening to this. Um, and it's interesting because we talk about, um, you know, collaboration as, you know, a nice to have, but you very much show that it is um, possible. But it's also, I guess, fundamental to the way that local government work and maybe how it sees itself. So really keen to get your thoughts on how, you know, the role of local government is actually um, evolving. So, you know, we saw, you know, 
I'd say really clearly during the, the pandemic, how the council acted as that enabler across the place and, you know, collaborate was strengthened with partners, whether that was, you know, community, faith groups, academia, industry, um, some really great examples there of, you know, spinning up new services in record time. Um, what do you see as the council of the future and, you know, how will that change um, impact how we solve problems? It's a great question because I think it key to say is that the collaboration cannot just be between local authorities. It has to be collaboration with third sector, private, sec private sector, academia, as you say, because I think one of the conclusions I've sort of reluctantly drawn over the last few months, and maybe this was always obvious, is that given the scale of the challenges that are now out there from social care to climate change, uh, to homelessness, to improving education, you know, right across the piece, local government cannot move fast enough dramatically just alone to respond to those needs it it doesn't have the resources you know we've had massive reductions in local authority budgets over the last decade and now topical in the news even further cuts i'm not sure what there is left to cut but we're now in that unfortunate position and so we have to find what those new collaboration opportunities are. And as you said, we saw that during COVID, we saw volunteers rising up uh, to, to be part of the solution, better relationships with voluntary and community sector organisations, academics as well, all coming together to help with these big challenges. One area where we're really pursuing this is in adult social care. And I think this is a classic issue where, you know, it's one of the largest line items of local authority expenditure left unreformed, it's likely to essentially blow the budget of every council in the country within the next five years to a decade. Short of something quite radically different, we can't sustain this model. And I'm not interested in adding digital sticking plasters to aspects of a model, some of which may be fundamentally broken. There we need to think really creatively. Local government, I think, needs to support a conversation of how do we address these social needs in radically different ways. And a lot of you, we've been really inspired by uh, amazing charitable organisations. If you look at um, uh, Beam, which has an incredibly personalised preventative approach in the field of homelessness. If you look at an example of community nursing from the Netherlands, Beertzorg, which, yes, is enabled by technology, but radically empowers the front line to be much more responsive to local need. There's examples like these we see in other sectors, which I think show how you can think really creatively, really laterally about a problem, enabled by digital quite often but where the council is often playing a different role rather than doing the thing or commissioning the thing, it might be playing the role of matchmaker. You know, let's, we've got some people in the community with a need, let's help them connect with people who can respond to that need or local government being open and honest about the fact it doesn't have all the answers. Maybe they can shift to being government as incentivizer, using things like challenge prizes or open calls to say, hello world, we've got this problem, who can come up with the best solution? So uh, in November, Lottie's hosting a big event around adult social care, trying to explore those radical new models. But all of this comes down to, coming back to your question, local government, I think, has got to be really flexible and fluid with its role and be really intelligent, given its limited resources, but given its amazing connections with its community, how it can draw in the support, the expertise, and maybe build some new institutions alongside other partners in order to tackle these problems more sustainably.
Excellent. And um, <laughs> not to sound like a broken record, but it sounds like, again, collaboration is at the heart of, you know, oh, yes. <laughs> the future. Um, sometimes I think, is it the council of the future or the place um, of the future? But I'll pause this for a bit as we are future gazing, because I will come back to that um, towards the end. But be good to take stock and, you know, reflect. Obviously, we talk about, you know, always, you know, what are the challenges and problems that local government are facing? But, you know, there is also lots of, you know, great innovation and things um, happening. So at the end of every year, Tech UK always takes the time to reflect on, you know, what have been the biggest digital achievements and trends for local government? Um, so what are some of your reflections on this year that has gone by? But also, you know, what are the things that you are most proud of when it comes to local government transformation and innovation, Eddie? I think one of the things I've seen has been local government and all of its partners really rallying together around the issue of digital exclusion. And I think, again, this is another of those issues that the COVID pandemic really highlighted. Lots of people left worse off in so many ways. But if they were additionally unable to get online due to lack of a device, lack of data allowance, lack of skills, they were even further marginalized from opportunities and you know heartbreaking stories of children not being able to engage in education people really dependent on certain benefits and not being able to claim them uh, people desperately trying to find new forms of work and obviously lots of people working remotely and that was fairly easy perhaps for people like you and me for people uh, who weren't able to access that kind of online jobs market, uh, very, very difficult. So uh, together with the GLA and right across all 33 London boroughs, we've been working to design a pan-London digital inclusion service alongside the Good Things Foundation to try and make sure that whenever a local authority or a VCS organization comes into contact with someone who's digitally they excluded. Can, they have yeah. an offer of a free device, an upcycle device, uh, free data allowance, thanks to the National Data Bank, and access to free skills training so that they can be supported. And increasingly, that can be targeted at people who experience this issue in different ways. So we looked at temporary accommodation hostels where some of London's most vulnerable people reside. And again, you hear heartbreaking stories of people you know, desperately trying to access education, but having to do it in a crowded kitchen with lots of other sort of strangers about, you know, this is not conducive for children learning, people desperately wanting to be connected with friends and family more than ever and not being able to do so. And so the more we can target digital inclusion interventions in a really strategic way, I think that'll be really impressive. Uh, a huge amount has happened across uh, uh, London over the last year, and I hope that continues. The other one is... I'll go ahead. Uh, I was just saying lots of things to, to be proud of and celebrate, but I'm happy to hear there's more, please. <laughs> well, so, yeah, no, well, so the, the other one, another topical issue given COP27 uh, coming up, is that in the wake of COP26, uh, Lottie held a big design sprint looking at net zero targets. And I think what we were able to prove there and show there was that the digital and data and the innovation community shouldn't be driving the agenda. They should be enabling the outcomes that our colleagues who are experts in areas like environment or social care or housing, what they know. And so what we did as a community was spoke to all of London's environment directors and said, you tell us what is the change we're trying to produce here in London. We will then bring along, we held a big two-day uh, two design sprint with about 100 people, people from technology, from data, from smart cities, from behavioral insights, lots of multidisciplinary talents who then spent two days coming up with ideas, bringing all their creative 
their creativeness and also their sort of cutting edge tools and methods to help address those net zero targets. And out of that design sprint, at least two projects are going forward, helping simplify how Londoners can apply for uh, permission to uh, retrofit their homes with energy saving measures uh, and other ways potentially looking at how groups of flats can uh, get approval to put solar on their roof in a way that's been very, very difficult before. Lots of different examples of things we could do there. And it's an example of smart city technologies in particular being put to good use. And the most impressive smart city stuff I've seen globally over the last decade is now happening in the South London Partnership, a cluster of a few boroughs, um, including Kingston, Sutton, uh, Croydon, um, and their partners at Richmond and Wandsworth, who are just being very, very thoughtful by starting with the outcome they're trying to achieve, things like flooding prevention, early engagement with the technology market, saying who's got great solutions that could help enable this outcome, and then testing it, seeing what works and what doesn't. And for the first time, just seeing that very refreshing outcomes-based version of using smart city technologies in a way that's relevant to net zero targets, I think is absolutely great and really keen to see much more of that. Fantastic. No, great to hear that. And I'm, yeah, after this, I'm definitely going to, um, yeah, do a bit more research and find out about that. So it's great to know that, you know, South London are, are leading the way um, on that. Fantastic. And it's I called guess, the Innovate Programme, if Innovate Programme. Fantastic. I should definitely be reading more, um, reading more on that. And um, if I can, I would say something that I'm personally excited for um, in 2023 is Tech UK working even closer with um, Lottie and the team there and your uh, London Borough members. Um, thanks to our recent um, MOU. So hopefully this will act as a great example of, you know, breaking down those traditional barriers of, you know, buyer and supplier and working together to show what good market engagement looks like and actually affecting real and meaningful change through this partnership. Um, what are you hoping to achieve, um, I guess, you and also Lottie from this collaboration? And um, it would be good to get your thoughts, Eddie, on the role that suppliers can play in helping councils to innovate. Again, we come back yet again to this, this subject of collaboration and given that every single public service and back office function within local government is powered at some level by technology and will increasingly be powered in the full stack by technology, we've got to get the right tools and we've got to get the right partnerships with suppliers to do that well. Now, I think we can all hold our hands up and just admit the fact local government has not been a great customer to the tech sector. You know, procurement methods can be very outdated. I know they're incredibly frustrating for many technology suppliers. Equally, for anyone who's been in and around the sector for the last decade will know that local government has a lot of frustrations with a certain number of technology suppliers. However, well, to satisfy both, what we need to do is to raise the level of conversation, give the tech sector much more uh, input about like what our local government needs, what are the outcomes we're trying to get to, and enable them to see what's the incredible innovation that the tech market is is able to provide. So my mission is to help make sure that local government becomes really smart, demanding customers to the best innovation the market can provide. And I think delighted to have a partnership with Tech UK so that we can connect our members who can talk about their needs and hopefully engage with suppliers so suppliers feel better informed and have that early opportunity to say, well, you know, this problem you're trying to tackle there, there's a totally different way you could even think about it because do you realize this is where the technology now is 
and how you could think about it. Because otherwise, what we end up with is technology suppliers being very frustrated when local government issues a 200-page tender specifying in excruciating detail essentially a description of their current legacy system. And then they wonder why only a couple of you know suppliers will ever be able to respond to that. So I hope through better dialogue, by hosting those conversations much, much earlier in the process, like way pre-procurement, we can build those relationships and have a much more satisfying experience on both sides. But we will absolutely rely on the best in the tech sector. We really invite them to deeply engage with local government's needs, helping ensure that all tools allow data to flow freely so we have a seamless digital experience and can do the kind of analytics we want. Um, But really looking forward to those conversations and seeing what we can do together. Excellent. That's so encouraging. And I'm sure together we can get to that that vision. And that's definitely something Tech UK with its um, members wants to achieve. And yeah, we look forward to that greater dialogue. And um, now before we close and say, you know, on to the, to the, the fun bit, if I can ask you, Eddie, to look into your glass crystal um, ball, what are your predictions for next year when it comes to local government, digital and innovation? So I think digital in its broadest sense, and when I talk about digital, I use the sort of the Tom Loosemore definition. So it's about, you know, culture, processes, ways of working, internet era business models, everything it's possible to do thanks to the fact we live in the internet era. I think that sort of capability is going to be more relevant than ever. And, you know, the blunt truth is, given we've had a decade of cuts, given there's now even more cuts coming, local government has faced with a fairly... Well, I think I think it's an obvious choice. I think others will find it a difficult one is that either they keep salami slicing back on their current model, which is already so pared back that they can't really cut back any further without causing some people real harm or we invest in innovation to save. So I think everything that digital can do as long as we treat it in its broadest sense. So it cannot, this is not just a conversation about software and um, hardware. There is no amount of software that solves social care pressures or climate change or the homelessness crisis, but using technology thoughtfully, and I hope over the next year, adding to it our expertise in other forms of innovation methods from behavioral science to design thinking, to doing open calls, all of that together, I think is the only solution in town, the only plausible path for local government to continue to do what it wants to do, which is to really, truly support local communities. So I think a really, really challenging time, but we can now show what we can do more than ever. And I think have a relevance that maybe we've only you know scratched the surface of before. So I feel optimistic we've got a huge role to play in collaboration with the tech sector um, over the next decade. Excellent. And I love that. I love that optimism. But yes, thank you, Eddie, for your excellent insights. It's been great having you on the Tech UK Future Gazing podcast. And I'm sure, um, yes, now with our MOU, we'll be doing a lot more together. So there's opportunities for both our members to find out more, I'm sure, at a future event. But thank you again, Eddie. My pleasure. Thank you for the chat. Look forward to hearing what people make of this conversation and yeah, continuing uh, talking further. I'm delighted to be joined by Siraj Kika, CEO and founder of Jardu on this Tech UK podcast. Siraj, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Georgina. It's great, great to be here. So before we begin, can you tell me a bit more about Jardu? 
Yeah, so Dardy makes, uh, I suppose we make really big websites for government and higher education. We focus on accessibility and great user experiences and you know, we spend a lot of time on the design process, I suppose, as well as the, you know, the technology that powers these platforms. Our focus is, as a software company is on creating what you'd now call low-code, uh, sort of digital customer service software. And we handle CRM, web publishing, forms, payments for local authorities sort of all over the UK, all over Australia as well. Uh, we started growing, we're growing quite rapidly in the US at the moment, working with a lot of sort of higher education institutions. So a lot of big universities in America use uh, JADU every day to manage the student experience and manage their constituents. So it's a very broad sort of, I suppose, customer base. But the one common thread in everything that we do is accessibility and fundamental and key to you know, creating uh, inclusive digital services. Excellent. And congrats. I didn't realise how global you are. So that's that's great to hear. And yeah, something that yeah. I want to pick on what you mentioned is accessibility. And as you say, that is fundamental in the design and mm-hmm. delivery of good, but also, you know, it needs to be inclusive public services. How do yeah. we make digitally inclusive services, you know, to actually ensure that no person or place gets left behind? Well, um, I mean, for us, it's... Um, it's kind of, it's very easy because we've been obsessed with accessibility since we started. And so it's an easy conversation at Jardu. I mean, it, it's baked into our objectives on a, a sort of an individual employee basis, including my own objectives. So everyone get, throughout our team is acutely aware of what makes good accessible digital experiences. But making sort of inclusive and accessible digital services is really hard. I mean, we we start with making sure accessibility is prioritized as very high in every as a user need in every one of our projects and the most fundamental in the design of accessible services is testing you know testing with uh, real users and i suppose whilst automation sort of can be helpful there's no real replacement for you know testing with users across a broad range of disabilities so I, you really have to understand the context of um, what you're making and in in local authorities you know the communities are so diverse and the needs are so diverse that trying to understand you know who you're designing for is key and luckily most local authorities are very smart about understanding their local communities and demographics so they usually have a lot of data that we can use in the design process you know when we're creating things and those are the first questions we ask you know when we start the design process for a local authority you know if it's a community portal or a tourism site moreover it's the whole sort of gov uk experience where you know you really got to understand who your local communities are uh, what their challenges are a lot of local authorities also have disability groups so you can start working with them and sort of use them as the i suppose real world testers right from the design process through to the you know sort of pre-launch of a of a, of a new major web sort of website but it's a, as a software company, it's, it's kind of our responsibility to understand emerging standards. Like, for example, the new uh, WCAG 2.2 standard, which mm-hmm. is just coming out. And as well as that research that we have to do ourselves, we also partner with sort of some leading accessibility specialists. We've got good friends at the Shore Trust, AbilityNet, who we've worked with for, um, say, nearly two decades now. We've also got technology partners where we do integrations sort of in, baked inside the Jardu software, including uh, organizations like Silktide, for example, where they, you know, they've got an automation 
testing platform that's very widely used, very intelligently made, and we integrate with that. So every time you publish something, a form or a page on a Jardu platform, you can automatically get a test result in in your SilkTide account. So it's those kinds of things, really. But I, I suppose the most fundamental thing about making sure you're designing for a broad range of sort of disabilities is it's got to be a top-down thing, really. I mean, the entire organization has to buy into it, as Jardu has from the beginning, really. So every employee understands the need. And in a local authority, content standards are really key. Like PDFs, for example, are widely seen as inaccessible. And you can make accessible PDFs. You've just got to know how, and you've got to put the time and effort into doing that. And it's all those small things that sort of count towards making a more accessible organization. Absolutely. And there's so much from that to unpack in terms of, you know, the culture, that top down. And I love what you said about, you know, baking that in within your organisation, making that, you know, a fundamental piece of, you know, who you are in your DNA to, you know, that whole partnership Mm -hmm. approach. You know, that's something that, you know, very much we champion at. Taking that ecosystem approach to to solve a, a solution, so fantastic. And I think, as you say, you know, also with local authorities, the beauty of them is, you know, through that data, they know who their, you know, their residents, their citizens are. You know, understanding who that local population is, so they can best mm-hmm. serve them. So it's always nice to hear about a positive about local government. You know, often there is that kind of narrative and challenge around maybe being risk averse and you know the continued financial pressure so it's always good to put you know a spotlight on something positive but obviously we can't shy away from the continued challenges that they do face and you know Mm. they they do meet but those challenges are there from increased demand to decreasing funding what role do you think digital can play to enable you know a much more sustainable future for local public services and actually help them to take the tackle those challenges head on well self-service i think is essential you know i mean especially now in this extremely challenging climate where it's not just a funding gap anymore. You know, it's a fundamental break in the finances of local authorities. And uh, digital is always seen as kind of a luxury, I suppose, Mm, um, or a last consideration. Um, But now I think it's got to be front and centre of strategy. So, I mean, if you imagine, can you imagine if Amazon, for example, had a contact centre to process all of their orders? I mean, it would be unconscionable. They couldn't scale you know, you wouldn't get just-in-time delivery and the business just wouldn't work. And I suppose in the same way, digital is critical to deliver customer service now and in the future. And automation and integration sort of play uh, are key drivers, you know, into creating much more, um, I suppose, efficient digital experiences where you know, customers are kept in the loop, um, where the, their expectations are met. And when they click on submit, you know, something happens and they're continually informed. And I think that whole focus on making smarter digital services and avoiding heavy human handling and data making has got to be the way local authorities look at delivering digital service. Accessibility, of course, is a primary consideration. But I mean, what use is a nicely designed and accessible service is if all you're doing is printing off an email and rekeying it off in a, in a back office system. So it's got to be the whole digital service end-to-end that is looked at and redesigned, really, in a modern context. And reducing failure demand as well. So, for example, 
reporting a pothole, if um, councils get thousands of duplicated reports for things like that every day, wouldn't it be just better to tell the customer that the council already knows about it and when it plans to fix it? And it's just those simple things that automation, integration, and understanding how to reduce that, I suppose, that cost of service. It's understanding how to put all of that into a service design and replacing you know, what you've had, which is usually a process that's been made by the back office teams to help you know, be more efficient internally, rather than actually what is best for the customer. So I think, yeah, as I underscore, automation and integration are, are, are you know, going to be key drivers to making sure local authorities can manage the cost of customer service. I know really useful and good to kind of hear that vision and do a bit of future gains. And I guess taking us back now to the present, at the end of every year, Tech UK likes to take the time to reflect on, you know, what are the biggest digital achievements and trends for, you know, local government or what have they been? I guess, what are your reflections on the year gone by kind of more specifically, you know, what are the things that you're most proud of when it comes to uh, local government transformation and innovation, Saraj? Well, it's been a really interesting year. Obviously, we're, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. We've stopped talking about recovery now and it's business as usual again, even though more or less every meeting I have with the council is on Teams still. You know, we're we're only really just getting back to in-person meetings. Offices are still pretty empty. So it's kind of a very, it's been a strange year. Um, But having said that, we've seen some amazing successes. And I I think probably the one that most resonates for me is anecdotally a story about Birmingham City Council, obviously the largest local authority in the country. They, back in January, we looked at some stats there with the council and they've exceeded half a million users of their, what they call their Brum account, uh, which is basically shorthand for their My Accounts uh, solution, which is powered by Jardu. And the model that they've, I suppose, created and, and something that we're really getting behind is this whole idea of the Amazon-like you know, service where the website is the CRM and the, the actually, just like Amazon, there's no separation between systems. Like the customer system is the front window. The service delivery is transparent. And it's just like for a customer, it's just like tracking a parcel to the end of your driveway. When you report something, you know what's happening, you're kept informed. And whether that's an automation from a back office system sending a message, you know, that's nicely scripted and sending it to you via SMS, or whether it's coming as an email, or whether it's actually just a thank you very much. Uh, We're not going to deal with that right now because there are other things happening. It's that sort of experience that helps set the expectation for customers and, you know, starts to avoid that sort of failure demand I was talking about earlier. And Birmingham have done a really good job of that. In fact, coming out of the pandemic, they've created a new customer strategy, which has been published. And it really does focus on their journey through the pandemic and how they really ramped up service delivery, almost delivering new services on a 24-hourly sort of basis using low-code, the low-code platform that they've got, which is Jardu. And I think sort of my final point really is that the biggest trend we see is in the adoption of low-code platforms like Jardu that have now become the mainstay. And I think that's going to be essential because we're falling off a cliff with the availability of digital skills right now. I mean, if you're a technology company and you're searching for developers, it's hard. If you're a local authority and you're searching for developers, well, you've got to compete with companies like us, you know, cut at the edge. So that skills gap, I think, is going to become the big problem, um, you know, sort of going forward into 2023. Yeah, great case study of 
in regards to, to, to Birmingham. Great stuff. Now, before we close, this is the fun bit, not to <laughs> the other bits weren't fun, but can I ask you, Thrush, to look into your glass crystal ball and ask for your predictions for next year when it comes to local government digital? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a lot going on in the scene at the moment. And Jardo's been delivering in local government since we started in 2001. So we're 22 years old on the 26th of November. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we've seen trends come and go. But having said that, what we haven't seen before is budgets being so tightly squeezed. I mean, obviously, when austerity started in 2010, things were very difficult for a long time. But I think this, you know, we're starting to look at the end of austerity and the beginning of unprecedented financial constraints, you know, with inflation and everything else that's happening. And I don't think that's going to stop, certainly not through the next 12 months. Um, I think budgets are going to become seriously constrained in local government. And I think um, local authorities and sort of technology leaders need to start looking at smarter ways of delivering technology. I think gone are the days of in-house development where you can just build something and, and deploy it uh, yourself. And I think because the skills are too expensive, you know, as I said earlier, even we struggle to, we, we recruit globally now. You know, we, we've got employees all over the world and it's very easy for us to change our business model in that respect. But it's very hard for a local authority to try and do that. So I think the investment in low code is going to continue and really start ramping up. I think platforms like Jardu that combine the website with the CRM forms and the payments, I think those platforms, there's probably four or five of them on the market at the moment. I think that market will start to grow. I think you'll start to see lots of local authorities really innovating in that space, just like Birmingham have. I think automation and integration will be the key thing that uh, local authorities are buying. And I think most councils will need to be much smarter about what they invest in, in terms of integration. So it's not really just about sort of robotic process automation, although that's still a part of the stack, I suppose. But it's really about, you know, how we can get human beings doing smarter things rather than all of the rekeying and everything else that's gone on. So I think that uh, integration piece, the automation piece will be sort of the big in, you know, the big areas for, for next for the next year. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for those excellent insights. I think so much food for thought in terms of what we use Tech UK together with our, our, our members and local government can do to, I guess, better support them as well into to next year. So, no, thank you so much. It's been great having you on this Tech UK Future Gazing podcast. Thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Georgina. I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Beer, Business Development Director for Capita Local Public Services at Capita, but also co-chair of Tech UK's Local Public Services Committee on this Tech UK podcast. Rachel, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It's great to be here, Georgina. Well, before we begin, it'd be great to learn a bit more about your role at Capita, but also the work and mission of Tech UK's Local Public Services Committee too. So um, I'm lucky that I wear two hats. So in Capita, I am Business Development Director for our local public services team. And that means being fully immersed in 
the challenges that our customers in local public service face and then focusing the whole of the organisation around how we can help them resolve some of those challenges. And that feeds really well into my role as co-chair of Tech UK's Local Public Services Committee. So we've got over 20 organisations that are part of the committee, made up predominantly of SMEs, but some large corporates like Capita. And my role is to really galvanise that that team to think about how, in a similar way to I do for Capita, how we as, as a team together can help our customers in local public service. So we have four main focus areas to be a coordinator, the coordinating body to build and amplify messages as an organisation and help our, our customers transform themselves, to be a coach. And that's around demystifying challenges. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as, as we go on and help understand and overcome some of the obstacles, illustrate the art of the possible. A champion, so that's all about signposting good practice in transformation and innovation and encouraging collaboration, not only in, in the sector, but in the adjacent sectors and clearly in the supplier community as well. And then finally, community. So that's coming together as a supplier community with our customers to help them solve their most common challenges. And that's where I'm really pleased to say we have launched something that we've called the Innovators Network. And that's all about how we act as a community to help our customers, as I just said, solve some of the most common challenges. So we've identified, for example, I mean, it's changed now, it's being delayed, as we know, but we identified the care cap and all the associated challenges that um, our customers were facing there. We used that as a theme. We brought the committee together with some other suppliers and we worked through those challenges and some potential solutions as a, as a, a network to bring that innovators network to life. And we've got new challenges to focus on um, in the next few months. Oh, wonderful. Thanks, uh, Rachel. And I have the, the great honour of working with you and others across the local public services um, committee. So just to say, you know, anyone listening from across the membership, but also local government that wants to, you know, get involved, learn a bit more about the, the committee, please do get in touch with either the Rachel or myself and also to find out a bit more about that innovators network. But hearing you talk, Rachel, you are clearly passionate about collaboration and really, you know, championing that ecosystem approach. Interestingly, we often talk about collaboration between, you know, local government avoiding duplication. But what do you think that looks like across the supplier base and how can we harness it? And I guess the role of Tech UK in that too. Yeah, and I, I think there's been a, a seismic shift really in the supplier community. So for me, what that looks like is, is us as a supplier community and in the LPSC team, I think we're, re we're really embodying this, working together. So not looking at um, how we as, as um, representing our own organisation can kind of position ourselves, but really having as a mantra the fact that we're there as a team to break down those barriers and to demystify technology because uh, uh, 
many of the events that that you've you've set up, Georgina, you'll you'll know. Actually, technology is not the barrier anymore. Technology can resolve a lot of the challenges and issues that our customers face, but it's making sure that we tell them about that and and also to take that a step further, it's breaking down those interoperability barriers. And this isn't going to be solved overnight, but if we just go some way to to bringing ourselves together as a team instead of just representing our own organisation, we can bring the SMEs in that have got such great ideas but never get the airtime with customers. We can bring the large organisations in to say, well, how can you make it easier for that SME to integrate into your systems so that you're delivering the right service to the customers to solve their challenges. So I think in summary, it it is about properly demonstrating that collaboration, demystifying the technology, not hiding behind it. And I suppose to take it to the next level, it's about them working together to think about what does that mean from a support perspective, because it's you know, that's the next challenge, isn't it, for our customers is, well, okay, if I put you three together, you three organisations, because you solve a problem for me in the most brilliant way, who do I speak to if part of it goes wrong? So that's, I think, one of the areas that we're going to tackle next year, isn't it, Georgina, in one of our Innovator Network sessions. Yeah, definitely. And looking forward to to that one. And talking of yeah, next year, the theme of this podcast is future gazing. We've had other guests talk about, you know, the future of local government, what that looks like, especially as we take on a more place-based approach to transformation and innovation. Within that vision, Rachel, what do you see the role of supplies being in the future? You know, is is the role of supplier evolving? Yeah. I don't want to repeat myself, but I think it's good to, to a certain extent, because I want to get the message <laughs> across. that point. <laughs> it, it, is to, it is to truly collaborate. It is to come together visibly and dispel those myths that suppliers are there to protect their own business and think about tangible ways that we could address some of those issues. So, I mean, data sharing is a a great one, isn't it? That's a huge, huge challenge. And how can we as suppliers who might have the best relationship with health, one of us, one of us might have the best relationship with the local authority, one with the police. How can we bring people together to break down those barriers we demonstrate positive role model behaviour and that we're sharing best practice as a, as a supplier community and help those organisations to share their best practice and their, their information to, to solve a problem, if that makes sense. Hopefully it does. No, definitely. And I guess on that kind of best practice and, and, and sharing, it would be good for us, I guess, just to reflect on the year that's gone and that's something like a it's become a new tradition for us at the at Take UK's local public services program, you know, in December, just to, you know, pause and reflect, you know, what have the been the biggest digital achievements and trends for, for local government in the past year? But also, you know, what are you most proud of? So yeah, if I can ask you, um, Rachel, kind of one thing that you know you're most proud of when it comes to local government transformation and innovation, and yeah, your key takeaway from this year. The thing that I'm most proud of 
from both a capita and a, um, an LPSC perspective is that that demystification, I think, really going out of our way to properly understand the challenges that are faced by our clients. And I think um, going back to the Innovators Network, that's given us an absolutely brilliant insight to the, the real nitty gritty challenges. So as an example, we had um, a meeting um, on children's services, didn't we, Georgina, an LPSC meeting. Yes. And one of the challenges that um, one of the directors raised was around um, a, a specific review that that her team needed to undertake, which meant that they needed to develop um, a timeline to be able to learn lessons from what had gone wrong and how they could could um, not how they could avoid that happening in the future. So what she explained was that um, in order to produce that timeline, her team would need to be basically locked in a room for five days and interrogate seven different systems to produce that timeline. Now we know that any one of us could easily help on that with um, technology, automation technology, recognition technology. So by getting that opportunity to really understand what is a, a pretty, I'm sure, a common problem, but a pretty easy to resolve problem, we can then come together as a community to offer some solutions. So I think um, in summary, it is about using the the committee to have real deep and meaningful conversations of significant issues that actually we could probably solve really quickly and and then coming up with those innovative ideas and bringing the team together to use the the, the best organization to solve them and so in terms of digital achievements and trends i mean i, I think this year it's it's a cumulative effect, isn't it, of COVID and then cost of living crisis, uh, Ukraine, everything. So I think the achievements have been still building on the successes that that we're seeing and the speed that we're seeing through COVID. Um, and I think taking data insights to the next level. I think it's been, you know, really in a pretty short space of time that customers have talked about their shortage of skills in 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 data analysis and and now pretty much everybody that I talk to has moved their teams on with with all of those headwinds that are going on they've moved them on to the next stage of of data predictive analytics everybody at different levels still a lot of work to do but i think moving that data journey forward has has happened this year and now looking on to to next year i think before yeah. we close rachel can i ask you and i think you've touched on it um already but you know what are you most excited for next year and especially where do you think the local public services committee can make real change and then finally yeah what's your prediction for local government digital and innovation so what I'm most excited about for next year is, is linking to what I've just said. It's using that progress that's been made on data analytics and predictive modelling with the 
backdrop of the data sharing is probably one of the the biggest issues that everybody needs to overcome. So that that's a focus area that we I think need to help with if we can. But it's it's moving that to the next level. So by the challenges that everybody has, I think we should start seeing some really positive automation as a result of the analysis and the 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 data information that people have, as I said, moved on, I think. So I, I think we'll see some really good automation. And I think that will have not only the impact of freeing up our people to do more mm-hmm. because they've got to do more with less the year coming, but also the other really important aspect of our client base is that as well as their people working in public sector, they are citizens as well. They're suffering in exactly the same way as as the citizens are. So by enabling them to focus on the more value-added conversations with citizens, the more value-added services, I think that will have a knock-on benefit to their well-being. I think employee well-being has got to be a, a big focus as well for next year. Certainly. Well, thank you, Rachel. So many excellent insights there and actually things that, you know, I'm looking forward to working with you and the wider Tech UK membership on next year and actually making that collaboration a reality. So, yeah, thank you. And it's been great having you on this month's Tech UK's Future Gazing podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great. Thank you to all our guests for their excellent insights. It's been great to reflect on the biggest digital achievements in local government and hear from our guests what they're most proud of and excited for next year. Now, during the podcast as well, Rachel Beer, who's also the co-chair of Tech UK's Local Public Services Committee, mentioned Tech UK's Innovators Network. Now, if you'd like to learn more, get involved or even propose a future challenge for uh, a future network, please do get in touch with georgina.maratheftis at techuk.org. Well, please also do make sure to to share what your predictions are for local gov digital by tagging at techuk. Thank you.